This is the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome back to tonight's HRN Live at 5. We appreciate you stopping by. If you get a chance right now, you have an opportunity to click the share button and uh, share this to your page so that others can enjoy the coverage tonight as well. We have a heck of a show planned for you. I am Glenn the Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network, host of the most popular podcast in the horse world, the Horses in the Morning Show, although this little show in the evening is catching up to it, I think. We have Dr. Swerdlin with us, who's president of the Palm Beach Equine Clinic, speaking about how large clinics are dealing with COVID-19 and are still caring for our horses. And then my friend Lee Silverstein is joining us. He has the We Have Cancer podcast, and he's going to share with us how cancer patients are coping right now with the extra fears that they have with compromised immune systems. And Lee, unfortunately, has been battling cancer for a long time and is in treatments again now. So he just had a treatment. He's going to tell us what it's like having to do that and go to the hospital at this point. Uh, I will not be here tomorrow night. I am uh, I'm going to be done for the week when I do horses in the morning tomorrow. I'm taking a long weekend after doing uh, two lives a day for the last uh, month and a half. I'm ready. Uh, Next Wednesday night, we have a special for you, and we're going to make the announcement here first. We have a two-continent concert. That's right. In the United States, uh, Templeton Thompson and Sam Gay are back. And from Australia, we have Max, who is one of the up-and-coming stars in Australia. She really is breaking out over there. And we're going to have two continents singing a concert on Wednesday night. More details on that soon. And if you can't watch this whole live stream now, catch it on the podcast players on Horses in the Morning podcast feed. Uh, now, I have a disclaimer here. This is mostly for me and, and not for uh, Dr. Swerdlin, but uh, we are not medical or financial professionals and are not offering any advice to you in any way on what you should or should not do with the health of you or your horses. That's up to you and your professionals. Uh, I want to start with a positive tonight, like I do every night. And I want to thank my auditor army for helping out with research, TJ, Alex, Rachel, and Lindsay. There's a 16-year-old in Virginia that has been taking pilot license, or, you know, he's been out doing pilot uh, lessons. And his name is TJ Kim. And he told the instructor, instead of just flying around and practicing, how about we fly medical supplies to some of the rural hospitals in Virginia? And his instructor said, that sounds like a great idea. So for the last couple of weeks, they've been flying medical gowns, masks, sanitizer, shoe covers to hospitals in very rural, some of them 25 bed hospitals in very rural Virginia. So I give him kudos, and apparently the instructor here doing that every week. So uh, I just was a cool story that I thought you'd all want to hear. And Virginia yesterday, in case you didn't hear last night, has now uh, extended their lockdown until June the 10th. So uh, I I assume we'll see other states doing that as well. I'm also going to talk at the end of the show. I have a chart that was put out that I that kind of talks about when they're predicting that the country will get back into operation again. And I really liked this chart. I thought it was pretty accurate from everything I've been reading. And uh, I wanted to share that with you. I'll do that at the end of the show. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Deborah. Please post in the comments where you're from, what state you're from. We'd like to see that. And Dr. Uh, Swerdlin will see that as well. So we're going to bring Dr. Swerdlin on now. And as I said, he's president of Palm Beach Equine Clinic, a very large clinic down there in Southern Florida, uh, who's just coming off of one of his busiest seasons of the year and uh, was abruptly changed 
I think that's a good word, right, Dr. Swerdlin? The planet came to a screeching halt. It was a half halt. <laughs> yeah, it was a half halt, right. It was a half halt. So let me ask you, obviously in Florida, and I know most states, the veterinary clinics are still considered a necessary thing, right? Correct. Okay. Um, in the state of Florida, the governor of Florida, Governor DeSantis, said that veterinary medicine was an essential service. And since it is an essential service, it allowed us the opportunities to go to the farms, to go to the stables, to provide services to our clients, to riders, and to kind of catch up on everything that we hadn't been able to get to during during the show season, which is just nonstop, 24 hours, seven days a week. How have you had to change operations for safety's sake? Well, we've done numerous things. The first thing, for example, in the hospital is we limit the horses that, and the owners that can come in. For example, just the owner can come in and the owner has to stay seven foot from any of our um, technicians. Our technicians are all wearing masks and gloves and uh, we're remaining at least seven foot distance away from the owners. We take the horses out of the trailers and put the horses back in the trailers. So the owners have very little contact with the staff. And all the staffs reminded to take their temperatures, to make sure they're feeling good. And if anyone's sick or ill, um, they stay home. Um, we're making sure that everyone's going to get paid the same thing as if they were here. And But we're just encouraging everyone. Knock on wood, we've only had one doctor and one technician test positive, and it was um, a moderate case. So. We, so far, we've been very lucky. At yeah. And, and just for people who are around the country, you're in a part of Florida that has had a lot of cases. Yes. Palm Beach, I think, uh, has unfortunately had the most deaths in Florida. Of course, I believe it's probably age dependent. And so. Oh, well, let's face it. The whole state of Florida is age dependent, isn't it? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, Glenn. I, mean, I live I, in Ocala. You and I the oldest county in the world. Ourselves. So I grew up in Ocala. So yeah. I know Ocala well. But um, yeah, but we've been making sure that we stay away from everyone else and that uh, social distancing, where everyone's carrying hand sanitizer and they're. We ask them to please make sure they wash their hands and they use the hand sanitizer between every horse they look at. Um, you know, horses don't get this disease. They have another coronavirus that's very similar to this, but it's a GI disease. It's not a respiratory disease like it is with, um, with people, fortunately. And I don't know of any fatality ever from the coronavirus, um, the GI disease. But um, nevertheless, I think that any fomite, whether it's your kitchen table, a counter in the grocery store, or your horse's coat could be a potential. So we kind of just keep other people away from your horse. And you just have to decide when you go to the barn and different recommendations are made for different uh, stables and different areas, for example, and Wellington, we have a lot of professionals riding. So what we've tried to do is make sure that they spend a lot of time with their staff discussing social distancing. We don't want one person in the tack room at a time. Everyone's scheduling when their rides are so that we don't have a lot of people in the rings all at one time. And people are reminded to stay, you know, not to converse with other people, 
and stay away and keep their horses away. So we're just making sure that there's no common areas that people are congregating. And most importantly is that the, the individuals who are taking care of the horses, there's that staff needs to make sure that they don't congregate. And that's kind of difficult because um, a lot of the group are very used to culturally to being close together and being very um, familiar and having a lot of conversation. Uh, so if you do have people working in your barn, that's where you have to educate them the most. We are just basically as riders, and I'm a rider too. My wife rides dressage horses. I play polo. That's crazy, but I do. Um, it's just important that we make sure that the entire staff knows that they have to follow social distancing and make sure that they use proper guidelines. And of course, at Palm Beach Equine Clinic, everybody goes home, takes the clothes off in their laundry room, or, and then jumps in the shower. Um, this has disrupted Wellington less than when we had the herpes outbreak. But some really? of the same pat yes, but some of the same patterns are important, and that's one of just making sure that we uh, are not fomites or we're not contact transmitter the diseases and make sure that we just use proper sanitation when dealing with ourselves and our horses. So I think we're going to get through this. I I'm surprised that Virginia said June, uh, the spokesperson of Florida, of course, the president who's just up the street a couple of miles. He's convinced we'll be out by Yeah, Easter. he was convinced we were going to be done by Easter, too. So, let yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that what we have to do is rather than let everybody out at once, they won't kind of stage this. I'm going to talk about that later. I'm going to talk about that later, I think, and and, and actually kind of break down uh, what the projections are about the stages. I, I Real quick here, I wanted to mention some of the people are saying they're not seeing the comments. If you're watching in my personal page, I discovered, you're not seeing everybody else's comments because it's a personal page. Go to Horses in the Morning and pick the coverage up there, and you'll see everybody else's comments. And we have some people from Wellington joining us. So hello to them, too. So I, you know, um, one of the things that I, I like what we were talking about bef before the show started, and I had a professional writer on last night. I had Jonathan Holling on, who's an eventer, and we, he talked about. It was very interesting. He said, we're all kind of realizing that we're now having more time to actually work with our horses and get through some of the issues that we never took the time to do before because we had to ride 10 horses in a day. We only had 20 minutes. And he said, I, he made an interesting point. Whether this happens or not, I don't know. But he said, I wonder if we aren't learning that we should be training differently. I, and, I agree with you 100%. And letting horses be horses a little more instead of just being performers. If they can have a little time to kind of recover, turn out a little bit of less stress and more calisthenics in their routines, I think it does the world for the, not only their bodies, but their minds. They just settle down. And I, I'm seeing that throughout Wellington. And this has been a good time. Of course, everybody should be getting their fall, their spring vaccinations, you know, for encephalitis, because we see that breaking out here. And if you plan on showing again, you have to have flu and rhino flu every six months for your FEI passports. But it's important to catch up on that right now because 
during the season when show and we don't have time to do that. We can't take the three days that's necessary post-vaccination. And um, also that people are catching up on, you know, I, this horse has been a little funny and is left for, let's bring him in for a bone scan or let's get an MRI of this horse's feet. We've been chewing him this way and getting a little short and ouchy. So not only are people enjoying riding their horses a little more, but they're really being attentive to problems that have occurred and have been current through for a couple of years. They just all of a sudden seem like they have time to focus on their horses and on their training. And I think people are, I hate to say this because it's a terrible thing to say, but I think horsemen are enjoying this, this well, period. Well, you know? and you know, you're old enough like me to remember yeah. the day when we had time off in the schedule and exactly. there was time every winter to do this. Exactly. And that doesn't occur anymore. I mean, people's, show up here the planes fly in the horses get out of quarantine and bam they're in the show ring and they're going for three to four weeks and put back on the planes interesting thing this year is that a lot of people decided from the northeast decided to stay here rather than go back to the northeast so they're spending time here in florida and may's a beautiful month in florida it's our know. best month <laughs> It's a great month. The weather is perfect and the evenings are long and beautiful. Um, and you get to see the sun and the moon in the sky at the same time. So, you know, I'm riding. When I get done with this podcast, I'm going to go jump on a horse. But um, I think that we should focus on our, what we can do to improve our riding, improve our communication with our horses, and uh, improve the horse's um, health and well being. And um, give this, utilize this time really efficiently and effectively. Uh, I know you can spend this time uh, watching the mainstream news channels, and you'll be getting depressed the more you watch it. And maybe it's a good time to listen to podcasts. I, I think it's I, a great time to listen to podcasts, Doc. Podcasts <laughs> and, and uh, the podcasts on the TED podcasts and just kind of expanding your horizons and utilize this time really effectively, not only for your horses, but for yourselves. You know, it's a time to reflect and a time to sit back and it'll be over and we'll go back to normal life, but maybe our normal might be a little slower than it was before, which might be a good thing for the and, horse and, it, and the rider. It's going to be different. I mean, until we have a vaccine, there's going to be social distancing for a long time. There's yeah. going to be the rules are going to be a little different than they were before. You know, the yeah. norms are going to be a little different. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I can don't know. tell you that my my polo friends who are mostly Argentine, you know, they all drink mate and share that mate with each other as they pass it around. Well, we've kind of stopped that. Yeah, but that's like a thousand proof. I think you're probably safe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, so I like the idea of what you said, that this is a time, actually, if the vets are working, they're, you know, they're, they're still willing to come out and do the shots and do maintenance and things that you may have been putting off, uh, scans that you may have been putting off, you know, right. those kinds of things. And so you're probably as busy as ever. Um. I wouldn't say we're busy as ever because the number of horses in April have decreased. That being said, we are busier than I thought we'd be. Mm. Um, one of the things, too, is that if you have a farm and you have a lot of dogs and cats 
and you're used to bringing them into your small animal vet and they're getting a little stressed taking the animals through the cars into the hospital and out back to the cars, it might be a good idea to ask your equine vet to vaccinate your dogs or your your cats, your barn cats. They can kind of help you out and save you a trip. So there's a lot of things if you look around that you can catch up on and uh, and just stay safe. I don't think this is that difficult. I think that we just have to be smart. And I feel terrible for those people that we weren't too well versed on this. I will tell you in my research, because I was interested in this whole thing, and I was in the military as an Air Force veterinarian. And of course, that's where we were in charge of all zoonoses. We did most of the medical therapies and treatments. And um, this is a zoonotic disease from bats. And I guess we recognize that the bats had this disease, this particular corona, and um, almost three years ago. And I understand that they tested over a thousand dogs to see if it would spread to the dog population. And um, that was in fact, um, they found out it didn't, but it was kind of disappointing to me that if you know that you have a coronavirus, why didn't the, on the, and we were looking at it from the veterinary side. Why wasn't it looked at that period of time ago on the human side? And, and I, great, I, great Chinese veterinarians too, who have been trained all over. They they weren't looking at it. No one was. And I think uh, you know we're determining here at least in the last couple of days, and then from all of the uh, reports that we're getting in, is that this has probably been here since November, especially in California and the West Coast. It's been here since November. People are getting been getting really ill. They thought it was the flu, uh, and I think we're going to find that's the case. Uh, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think the most important thing that we can do, and of course, I think we should probably use the veterinary community because we can do testing as well as on the human side and a lot of small animal veterinarians that we can start doing the uh, IgM, the antibody tests um, to determine if we humans have had previous exposure and just get this out so we can start getting in the data to see how many of us have already been exposed, have had the disease. And of course, if we had that information, it would be a lot easier to determine when we should open up the, the world and how we should open up the world and and who was allowed to open the world and exactly right. yep exactly i agree well keep up the good work and stay safe down there in, you too, Glenn. in wellington your and, readers, and if, to your readers you know if they have any questions just give me a call um at palm beach equine and just everybody stay safe thanks doc appreciate it thank you glenn bye-bye so next up, I have a good friend of mine, uh, and we're going to get a little different. We're going to change gears totally here. We're going to go from veterinary uh, to Lee. Hi, Lee. Hey, how's my friend Glenn today? Good. Lee is a friend of mine from podcasting for a long time. Uh, he has a show called the We Have Cancer podcast, and unfortunately, Lee has cancer and has been battling it for five, six years now. Nine. Has it been Nine. Nine years. I've known you for a long time. I've known you for a lot of that, actually. You have. Yeah. Yes, you have. Well, Lee, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to talk about what it's like for 
cancer patients right now who have compromised immune systems, probably more than any other group, uh, especially if you're in treatment with chemo and everything else. And, you know, what you're feeling and what you're seeing and, and how your community is, is, is right now. So first, I know that you had a reoccurrence and you've been getting treatment again. Um, so where are you at in that and what's going on? So I went for my first uh, scan since resuming chemotherapy this year, last Monday. And the first thing I noticed at the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa was there was a crew outside the front door, literally literally standing under the port of as you pull your car up, not letting anybody in the door uh, until they asked you a few questions, the standard questions. Have you been outside the country? Have you had a fever? All those kinds of things. Um, so I went in, had my scan and then my, uh, I was due for, to meet with my doctor who I meet with basically every third treatment, uh, to talk about where we are. And in this case, to get the results of my scan and then have my next treatment of chemotherapy. When I came back two days later, there was a bigger crew outside the door. And this time you weren't allowed in the door until they took your temperature. Uh, so this okay. just changed within 48 hours between last Monday and last Wednesday. So they ramped it up a little. Um, I'll skip ahead and uh, share that the good news was that the chemotherapy is working and there was no Yay. visible evidence of tumors. So Yay, we were good for you. With that. Yeah. However, he canceled my chemotherapy because my white blood cell count was pretty low. And as most people know, that's a key factor in fighting off all the nasty things that are out there. So he didn't want the white blood cell to drop any lower than it was. So he said, you know, we're going to, we're going to skip. Cause treatment. that's tied to your immune system, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. So there's two factors. One is the white blood cell count. The other, I forget what they call it, but they both work in tandem to uh, fight off infection and, and bacteria and those kinds of things. So he said, look, let's, let's skip this one and you come back in two weeks, which will be next Wednesday. And we'll resume chemotherapy at that time. So, so Ellen, Ellen's on here and says, my husband has cancer. They stopped his infusion chemo and moved him to an oral chemo so he can take it at home. And I, I assume they're trying to do as much, keep people out of the hospitals as much as possible right now. They are. They are. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I got an email about three weeks ago saying that, and and every, I think people are seeing this nationwide, that you can't have anybody with you. So typically my wife, Linda, or a friend would sit with me because usually from start to finish, a, a chemo day is a, is a good four hours between getting lab work and waiting and treatment and all those kinds of things. And I said, you could bring somebody with you, but they have to wait in the waiting room. Well, mm. that's the last place I want my wife to exactly. sit sitting in the waiting room <laughs> with all these people, but she can't be in the chemo, what they call the chemo bay. So they have little uh, cubicles, if you will, with uh, your recliner and a chair for one visitor. And usually, you know, Linda comes and keeps me company while I'm sitting there plugged into chemotherapy. Um, so that was a no go. And, um, and, you know, I saw somebody post the other day and this totally broke my heart, Glenn, someone else coming to the Moffitt cancer center, uh, was scheduled for a major surgery. Like she said, this was going to be like a seven hour surgery and she had to go in alone. Mm. I, I just couldn't conceive of, you know, uh, heading into a major surgery and not being, having somebody waiting for me when I come out or someone to kiss goodbye as I'm being wheeled in or those kinds of things. What, what just a, just a horrible I feeling. 
I think that's the thing I, I, you know, I obviously have been reading a lot on this whole thing because of the coverage. And when you read the stories of these and the nurse, this is what's getting to the nurses the most, especially in New York is, and I read an article today, I posted it just on my Facebook page a couple minutes ago. She said, seeing these people die alone is what's really getting them to, is, is making them emotional is, it is, she said, we've never seen that before because people have always had people with them. Yeah. 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 Really tie, you know, uh, I've had more surgeries over the and procedures over the last nine years than I can count. But I remember I actually went to Sloan Kettering in New York, uh, for a liver surgery seven years ago. And obviously that was a long procedure. And, and I, I don't think I went into like two, three o'clock. And obviously I woke up, I was still kind of out of it. And the first thing I did was pick up the phone to call my lovely wife. And I was like, where are you? You're not here. She goes, sweetheart, did you look at the time? <laughs> of course not. I had just kind of come out of it. It was already nine o'clock in the <laughs> evening. But that's my first reaction is, and I'm sure it is for everybody else, is where's my loved one? Yeah. And then just the thought of what these nurses are seeing. Like and, and, and apparently that's what they're hearing is people crying out for their loved ones. And oh. they, it's just... Yeah. That, that's heart wrenching. Yeah, it, it really, really is. You know, uh, for those that don't know Lee, uh, his wife is an absolute saint. Uh, and she, they met right before he found out he had cancer. Correct. I like right before. Um, and she's been with him this whole time. And, and I've met her many times that she is an absolute saint. She she's she puts up with your crap. I mean, that's something. So <laughs> exactly. But uh, forget the cancer. She yeah, has to put up with Lee. So. <laughs> yeah, and then you know uh, we we got married uh, uh, December first, two thousand and twelve. Went on our honeymoon. Came back from our honeymoon, and it was time for my quote unquote routine scan. And we get the phone call literally two hours before New Year's Eve dinner. Uh, from the oncologist. And, and you know the old story. If the nurse calls, it's good news. If the doctor calls, it's bad news. So I pick up the phone and I hear, Lee, it's Dr. Strasberg. And I'm like, oh, crap. I hate calling you on New Year's Eve with this news. And, and this was the day before our one-month wedding anniversary. And she still stayed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what you're hearing from your community. You're plugged in. You've been doing the Cancer Podcast for a long time. Um, are, are people terrified? What's what's the story? Or, I mean, cancer patients are kind of resilient, but, you know, this is a whole different world now. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, uh, you know, part of the community is is looking at a little bit of levity, like, oh, you know, we've been living with challenges all, all our life. This is not this is just one more thing. We're no big deal looking at everybody else, you know, freaking out. But at the same time, you know, there really is that concern. And, uh, you know, I was being really careful about venturing out and going to the grocery store. And if I did, I, I put on an N95 mask and rubber gloves. And I made the decision yesterday. It's like, you know what? Even that's not worth the risk. Uh, my sister in Atlanta, uh, Margie, has a, a friend that she's known since high school who hasn't been in contact with anybody and came down with it. And he said, the only place I've been is the grocery store. So I did my first Instacart order yesterday and the groceries were delivered to my front door. And I think that's going to be my life for a little while. Because uh, we've been doing that. Actually, we've, we've been doing that for, for a while now. Um, 
because of my issues. So we've been doing that for a while. And I imagine that if you're a cancer patient, you're, you're locked down right now. It's uh, especially if you're in treatment, Glenn, because chemotherapy, you know, as I told you with my situation really knocks down your resistance. And so, you know, if the general public is worried about getting this thing, imagine people, you know, like you and I, who's, who are immunocompromised, uh, it's a little, it's a bit frightening. It really is. I read a story today that they're, they're finding that even one risk factor, whatever that is, like, you know, I have asthma and, and the immune thing, you have immune things times 10. Um, they said one risk factor increases your chance of death. It was, it's like 60% over other people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's incredible. So, and, and I, you know, and they're still figuring this thing out too. Is Tampa have a lot of cases where you are? Um, I, 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 I don't even want to comment because I'm not sure. Right. So I, I know wanna... Southern Florida does like we just right. had the doctor on right. and he's from Wellington, Palm beach. They have a lot down in Southern Florida. That's yeah. Palm beach areas, uh, has been hit hard. They were hit hard from the beginning, actually. They, right. It's, you know, with Miami, but down there and everything. Uh, so they really got it. But my community is, is, you know, there's a lot of fear out there because of being compromised and, um, you know, some people are, you know, questioning, should I skip treat, you know, what's worse skipping the treatment, <laughs> right. Or being exposed and going to get the treatment. Uh, it's a really hard decision to make. Uh, you know, uh, each time I sit, I tend to stop treatment, uh, it's six months and one of those suckers pops up again. So, you know, someone might be listening to our conversation right now going, well, if your scan was clean, why are you still going to chemotherapy? Because I went through this last year and we stopped and six months later, here we go again. So I'm not in a rush to stop treatment, but certainly there is that concern. And there's still a waiting room there. I was, that kind of caught me by surprise. And I happened to be when I was there a week ago, there wasn't a lot of people there. So you could practice social distancing in the way. Did they have room. the chairs separated? They didn't really, they didn't. Uh, but it wasn't a full house either. So, you know, you, you, people were pretty well spread out, which was fine. But part of me is thinking, Hmm, I wonder if this is going to be the case when I come back in two weeks. And if that's the case, uh, you know what? I'll be in my car. Uh, text <laughs> call me, me when you're ready. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Call me when you're ready. I don't want to. I don't want to be there. Well, it looks like um, is it Margie and Linda are both Margie, your sister. Margie's my sister. Yeah. And then Linda, your lovely wife, is on yeah. here watching too. So hi guys. <laughs> I can't see the comments, so I'm relying yeah. on you. <laughs> yeah, no, they're here, uh, hanging out. Uh huh. And I know that, you know, Ellen's one of them and we've had a, a lot of our listeners, auditors who have, who have, and it's one of the reasons I want to have you on, who have spouses or brothers or, or, or our listeners have cancer and are fighting, or, you know, going through it now. And guys, if you want to listen to a podcast that, uh, that would benefit you and your spouse, definitely listen to the, we have cancer podcast. It used to be the colon cancer podcast. Cause that's what you had. And now you've kind of switched it to be all cancer, right? Right, right. Because we, you know, we realized that though I was talking to colon cancer patients, the stories and the experiences and the lessons and the challenges really were not disease specific. So now we've opened it up to all everybody in the cancer community. How hard was it for you emotionally to accept the fact that many of the people that you interview through the years, and it's been years now, uh, aren't going to make it? What? It, were you happy to just have to, had given them the opportunity to tell their story 
Is that how you emotionally got through that? I, w- I, w- I yeah. wanted to ask you that for five years. Actually. Yeah. And you know what? We lost five last year. Mm. Just last year alone, five who'd been guests on the show, two on the same day. Um, and one, one who I considered a, a pretty close friend who was here in Tampa. And I, that's the hardest part of what I do, Glenn. It really is. Cause you form these attachments with people when you hear their stories and, and what they're going through. And, um, some of them when they pass, it's a surprise because we were talking and, and, you know, they were doing well and all of a sudden things changed. And I, and I had a conversation with a friend after one of uh, the guests passed and they were like, you know, how do we keep doing this? And I say, we keep doing this to honor their memory and to continue to inspire others, inspire others. You know, we don't have another, we don't have a choice, but it's hard. It is hard. But it also gives them a voice when they need a voice, when they need to talk it out. You're there and people are there to listen you know, I, I think that's important, too. It's kind of like I love the projects. There's a couple of podcasts that are interviewing what's left of the World War II veterans about their stories. And I listen to a couple of those. Uh, they're hard to listen to because the veterans sometimes are not good speakers, you know, and or, or really old. Mm-hmm. So but the stories and th- some of them, it's the first time they're telling their story, yeah. uh, you know, and they're 95. Uh, right. But they get to tell it before they die. And I, I think that's so important. it is it is and you know the 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 number one comment i get from uh feedback from our listeners is i thought i was the only one experiencing that challenge there you go thank you for helping me realize i'm not alone you know right that and when i have the privilege and i certainly look at it as a privilege when i interview someone who's 20 years out right and they go oh my goodness i had no idea 20 years was even possible right and now you interviewed someone who dealt with this 20 years ago wow uh i got a whole different look, outlook now right it, it provides hope it absolutely and that's the tagline of our show providing stories of information inspiration hope to those touched by cancer have you covered this on your show? I'm sure you have the coronavirus and uh, just briefly um, haven't had any interviews around it, uh, but that's uh, something we'll be tackling soon. I'm sure. Yeah, I think you need to because your your listeners are also looking to you uh, just like, you know, I'm doing here with this show. You know, sure, uh, sure. people are looking for information that's specific to them. Uh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Now, finding a doctor to come on right now might be tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're a little busy. Uh, I've got three cousins. They're all siblings. Um, and they're all doctors uh, up, really? in the north, uh, up in the Northeast. Oh, and, wow. Uh, uh, it's starting to get a little crazy. Yeah. I know we have a couple of nurses here that are commenting right now. Um, and I know what they're going through, too. And, you know, more yeah. power to all of you. And uh, thank you. And thank you to all of them because... Uh, the, the work you're doing is so meaningful and, you know, you're making a difference. So that, that's my thank you to that community. Do you want to help me uh, show a chart here? Sure. All right. Let me see if I can do this without breaking things. Um, let me see if I can find it, actually. So I'm going to bring this up. So you, can you see this chart? It's kind of uh, hard to read. It's a little kinda. fuzzy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll help you. I'll do the pointer here. 
so this chart was put out by Morgan Stanley Research, which I thought was interesting. And it, it just came out and one, one of our listeners posted it. I've been saying that I think that we are going to be a little ways out. Uh, and I'll say, let me see if I can make this full screen for everybody. Um, so I've been saying that I think that uh, we are going to be a little ways out uh, for getting the country back to, despite what the president says, to getting the country back to normal here. They're, they're full screen. Uh, so what what this chart is showing is it's showing that they expect that the East Coast and the West Coast will have their surges and, and we're seeing higher death rates and everything still today. We're going to break records again, all the way up to about two weeks from now. And then we're going to see the rest of the country, the rural places that are a little behind, that are weak or two behind. We're going to see them about the 10th of May hitting the top of their peak. Mm -hmm. uh, so that uh, then we have to go down the mountain, right? When you go up a mountain, you have to come back down. And we have as much downside as you do upside because right. you still have to come back down. Uh, so what they're predicting here is that we're going to hit a million a day in testing capacity by the end of May that it's going to take that long to really ramp up the testing to where it should be so that we can start determining who's what and, and opening. They are predicting that the first wave, and this will happen in waves, and even the government's talking about this now, that there'll be a certain group that's allowed to return to work. And there are groups that have either had it uh, or or now have are being tested and, and are finding that they're not going to get it, you know, through antibody tests and all of that. And and also critical jobs or more critical jobs. And they're saying that's going to happen not until the end of June for the first wave. Hmm. Uh, they're saying that the second wave doesn't return to work. And that's the less critical jobs or people, you know, uh, who who maybe, again, had it in the meantime, and now we're two months down the line. Right. Uh, we're talking mid-summer, almost August. Uh, and, you know, that's what I talked to a professional writer last night who said the same thing. He doesn't predict that we'll be back till July or August. And then it's going to open, and I read this today, and, you know, we've been kind of saying this all along, it's going to open in stages. Certain states will be able to open that have less cases. Uh, then the, the more effective states will take longer and it's going to, it's not going to be, we're going to turn the switch and the whole country's open tomorrow. That's just, it's not what's going to happen here. Right. Um, so, you know, this chart, I thought, you know, kind of explained it the best, uh, and showed it the best. And then this chart, unfortunately, when you look at it is showing this potential second wave of infections in December and January. I was just going to ask you about that. Wow. And then the potential vaccine they're showing out into what everybody's saying the spring of next year. Now, you know, obviously, if we can find a treatment that's effective, that helps, right? That helps sure. curve the curve. And if we the vaccines can get approved and we find them effective and people are willing to take them, um, then uh, that'll shorten that period of time, too. Medicine is the thing that shortens the period of time. Medicine that they, is the thing that lengthens your period of time right. and will shorten this period of time. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I uh, I just thought that chart was interesting because it's it's what I've been kind of saying and what I've been reading, but I've never seen it in chart form before. And the fact that it came from Morgan Stanley, who has a very vested interest in these numbers and timetables. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Thank you for I sharing that. Oh, that was helpful. I talked to I I did a uh, Facebook Live roundtable today with the manufacturers and wholesalers in the retail world, and their group. And, you know, the thing I ended with is, and I think this is true for all of us, we hope for the best. We hope it's going to happen quicker than that, but we sure. have to prepare for the worst. 
Right. Y- you prepare for the worst and you hope for the best. And then if the best happens, it's all good, right? If you prepare for the best and don't take the worst into consideration, then you're not ready. So, you know, we have to be just as ready as we can be. Uh, another thing I talked about the other day, I'm full of bad news tonight. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I talked about the other day was I think that the food supply chains are going to, I talked about this two weeks ago, to get prepared because I think the food supply chains are going to start to break down a bit. And I read a story today that there's multiple of the butcher houses and Tyson and all of the big companies that deal with meat processing uh, are having to close up to 20% of their plants now because of sick people. So we're going to see a slowdown. I mean, you can't buy chicken anyway right now. I, we, we, we haven't seen a chicken in a store in a long time. But, you know, I think that we're going to see some of that. And then the sad story of, of, of having to destroy all those vegetables in Florida um, that came out yesterday. Uh, because, and I said, why are they destroying all those when, when they could be giving them away, right, to food banks and stuff? And apparently there's a short period of time you have to do something with them. Uh, and those are all things that would have been bought by restaurants and large, large manufacturers that aren't in processing right now. So all of these things that, uh, are, are just things you don't think about till something like this happens. And that's, that's why I'm so thankful that my lovely wife, Linda is a master gardener and we got a lot of our own veggies growing right out back. So I will be down. I know we're social distancing. I will stand. I, a matter of fact, do you, you guys go in the like house mustard, and I'll raid your garden. You like mustard greens. We have a lot of that right you now. Have a lot of, for some reason, the mustard greens always go faster than anything else. <laughs> always, and you know what? You really get sick of mustard greens after a while. That's one thing that gets old. Uh, it's not uh, all but, we have, but <laughs> I don't know what the chicken thing is. Uh, and, and Rebecca says all the milk in Wisconsin is being dumped too. And, and that's oh, true. And that comes back to restaurant and commercial use and schools and you know all of that stuff uh they just can't and 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 people like us who aren't going to the store but once every two weeks so we're not buying milk like we would every week or twice a week yeah it's just reduced consumption and uh it's it's all the you know periphery things you just don't think about that uh you know the, the ripple effect is just you know, incredible. It really is. Well, we're going to end on the good news and that's your good news. Absolutely. That's Clean worth scan. celebrating. Yeah, we're celebrating that. Absolutely. What, is, what is Linda making tonight? Because I could come over. I could probably get there in about two hours, actually. Yeah, hey, the roads are clear. I could get there in an hour and a half. I, I did a pulled pork on the uh, big green egg the other night and there was more we can finish. So I think we're going to jump back into that. Oh, tonight. leftover pulled pork is good too. It is. It is good. You like your green egg? Do you, do you use it all the time? Oh, it's incredible. I yeah. Love it. love it. Yeah. I love to barbecue, smoke things. I love doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and this weather right now in Florida, in the middle of summer, who wants to go outside to the grill? But, you know, it's a thousand degrees. But this time of year is perfect for it, too. It is. It yeah. Is. Yeah. We did a pizza on there the other night. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I, you know, as long as I stock up, stock up on charcoal, we, you know, we didn't even talk about, we didn't even say the H word to layer on top of everything else that we're dealing with. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, hurricanes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, having that big, we, we were egg. not talking about that yet. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Hi, Lucy. <laughs> all right we won't talk about that but having that big gotta, green egg out there uh is, is a great backup in case uh we don't have power for an hour 
I'm for, well, and you know, tornadoes <laughs> yesterday I'll, I'll, to our Ohio listeners up there, we have a lot of them in Ohio and they had tornadoes like crazy going through Ohio yesterday, mm. uh, which is really high up. They get them occasionally, but uh, that was unusual. And the South has just been getting hammered. And uh, that's the last thing anybody needs to think about right now is, is natural disasters like that. Uh, yeah. just, I didn't say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not thinking about hurricanes for a couple months yet. We're good. Yeah, we're good. That's my prediction anyway. Well, thank you, Lee. We really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, we'll be back with the horses in the morning tomorrow morning. Uh, Lee's been on that show, actually. He's, he's been here for that show. You actually sat in my studio right where I'm sitting. That's uh, right. That, I, uh, I remember laughing harder than I had in quite some time. <laughs> you helped us do really between, bad ads. Between, between you and Jamie and then <laughs> and then my, uh, Linda's texting me. And it was, <laughs> yeah, we, I'd love to get the chance to do that again. That was a lot All right, of fun. We're going to do that again, Lee. We're going to do that again. You helped us with really bad ads that day, didn't you? I did. Yes, yeah. I did. <laughs> it's the most favorite thing we do. Everybody loves really bad ads, and we're going to do it tomorrow. We have $500 in new prizes to announce tomorrow, too. Wow. So we're going to be giving away a whole bunch of more stuff next month uh, and a whole bunch of new prizes. Uh, so that's coming up on tomorrow's show. We'll have a good time. Horses in the Morning is still... I mean, we talk about coronavirus, but, you know, it's Jamie and I. We keep it kind of light. <laughs> so uh, and then that's my last show of the week. I'm not doing this tomorrow night. And uh, I'm going to take the weekend off for a change. I need a break. So you do. Good yeah, for you. My and line's that, kind of acting up. So uh, and this is a great thing that you're doing, Glenn, you know, to keep the community, your community informed. And, you know, I know it was uh, uh, an added thing that you took on. And I think it's wonderful that you're doing this. Well, thank you. And uh, definitely do that episode for yours. We'll you know? do. Yeah, get that done. Well, bye, everybody. Bye, Linda. Bye, all of your relatives that are watching. <laughs> <laughs>